It's part of American politics. We love our polls. From local races to the national stage of the 2024 presidential election, Matt Towery and Robert Cahaley are churning the data so you can stay informed. This is Polling Plus. Well, I want to thank everybody. This is a fantastic state. This is a great, great state. You know, we won New Hampshire three times now. Three. three. We win it every time. We win the primary. We win the generals. We've won it. And it's a very, very special place to me. It's very important. If you remember in 2016, we came here and we needed that winner. We won by 21 points and it was great. And uh, today, I have to tell you, it was very interesting because I said, wow, what a great victory. But then somebody ran up to the stage all dressed up nicely (laughs) when it was at seven. But now I just walked up and it's at 14. But but she ran up when it was seven. And, you know, we have to do what's good for our party. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing... uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. And, you know, last last week we had a little bit of a problem. And if you remember, Ron was very upset because she ran up and she pretended she won Iowa. And I looked around. I said, didn't she come in third? Yeah, she came in third. And then I looked at the polls. She was talking about most winnability, who's going to win. And I had one put up. I don't know if you see it, but I have one put up. We've won almost every single poll in the last three months against crooked Joe Biden. Almost every poll. And she doesn't win those polls. And she doesn't win those. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Towery with the Bowtie one himself, Robert Cahaley, one of the best pollsters in the country, certainly this morning. And... Um, had a really frosty night in New Hampshire, uh, sitting in my home in St. Petersburg, Florida, because watching those returns were just painful. But 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 before we even talk about this, I have and I, I ask listeners just to indulge me. It's just for forty one seconds. It's a it's one of those breaking news clips that I think we really need to discuss. So Robert, let's listen to the breaking. News. <laughs> It's starting to rain again. The rain had uh, cracked up a little bit. They backed motors of the ship, but just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get this out Get this out It's flying, and it's rising. It's rising terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's running, bursting into flames, and, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between us. This is terrible. This is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's just plenty. Oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flame is rising to the ground, not quite to the morning mass of the humanity. <laughs> well, Robert, you might think I put the, uh, up there to talk about some of the polls, not yours, <laughs> maybe mine. But no, I really have it there to talk about the Republican Party in New Hampshire or what purports to be the Republican Party in New Hampshire. I mean, we, you know, no, look, let me tell you. So I, I let's, let's lay it out. Congratulations to you. You had it 58, 35, 36, something like that. It came in 55. Uh, you know, she was around 40 something. We all knew there was undecided and the like. I think you had a great performance. 
I was a little high. I was with, out there with the Boston Globe, which was tracking it every day. I had it at 62. So I was the odd man out on this one. Uh, the reason I was the odd man out is my data folks just were convinced that the vast majority who were going to participate were people who had always voted in Republican primaries before. I think we're going to find that's not true, obviously, with this group. And my independent. Yeah, I, I, actually, I hear it's like 18% of brand new uh, primary voters. Yeah. And so, and I knew, I, I, I told them I questioned it because I've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks New Hampshire's an anomaly, it's an aberration, it's not going to be full Republican. And then what do I do? I let my data folks talk me into not changing my mind. But that said, we both polled the winner. We both know that Nikki Haley performed a little better than the polls, but not enough to get the, the prize or really, I don't think, to be in the, in the race. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think you I think you're exactly right. I mean, the numbers, uh, the numbers right now look like that 70 uh, percent of the people who were Republicans who voted in the Republican primary voted for Trump. And you had actually a majority, 53% of the people who voted yesterday in the New Hampshire Republican primary do not self-identify as Republicans. So that's kind of an invasion. And what, you know, what was, I found so fascinating is that, is that Haley, once again, as she did in Iowa, you know, she gave a speech that she came in second when she came in third. Uh, last night, she was smart enough to get out there early right. when the race looked much tighter and kind of, act, you know, act like she'd gotten that five or six point uh, uh, that close, which is what she needed to move on. Right. Uh, certainly not realizing it was going to or probably did realize it was going to be double digits before the night was done. Yeah, the New York Times <clears throat> pretty much early on was projecting to be an 11 point spread. And that's about where it came in. These exit polls, which I don't usually take much to them, but they, they were pretty instructive in New Hampshire. Um, you talked about it. I mean, if it were actually just Republicans voting, it would have been overwhelmingly Trump, 70-something percent. But it wasn't. And that begs the question that Nikki Haley is raising, and that is, can Donald Trump get independence in states like a Georgia or a um, Arizona uh, to try to win this thing because he's clearly going to have the nomination. But is, did, did this illustrate a problem last night or was it just, as I call the New Hampshire primary, even more so now, an aberration? I think it's a little more of an aberration because we got a, we got a few more things going on in November. One, the turnout will be almost triple what was in that primary. Yeah. So that wasn't a real taste of general election voters. That was a taste of very motivated on both sides voters. And this election is going to be decided not by the very motivated people on either side, but by the people who don't think about politics moment to moment, right. uh, who, who are going to vote their kitchen tables. And right now, you know, just like we joke, there's two justice systems. There are two economies, the economy for the upper class and the super wealthy is going great. And those tend to make up the the voters in the establishment that were supporting Haley, but the economy, you know, this election is going to be decided by people who are putting their groceries on credit cards. And that is where Trump's is, strength is. And it's also going to be decided by people who are worried about the border because everybody's worried about the border, whether you're rich or poor or whatever, you probably know somebody who died of fentanyl and now you're concerned. Right. So those issues lend their way to Trump. And the fact is, 
you don't need a whole lot of swing voters when you start uh, doubling up what you did with the African-American community and what you do with the Hispanics. Then the swing voters become a lot less relevant. Right. Absolutely. Well, so we're, we move on to uh, Nevada, and I think we have to explain here. It's sort of a complicated deal here. It's sort of like there's a primary, but the primary itself doesn't bind anyone as a delegate. The delegates are being awarded in the caucus, as I understand it. How yeah, many- I think it's the convention Is there. It the convention? Okay. And- and and basically the convention, I believe, is run on slates. And the Trump slate has already gotten all the convention slots. So my understanding is Trump will walk away with all the delegates regardless of what happens. Now, will that take place in the before, part- before South Carolina? Do you know? Yes. I, well, I, I believe the fact that he's already gotten the delegates mm-hmm. makes it kind of irrelevant whether right. it happens or not. Right. But the other candidates, knowing that there was nothing to pick up, most of them have pulled out. So the chance of Trump winning like 90 percent are pretty good. Right. Because there's you know, it's just him versus Haley. So, but, you know, the big enchilada is the one that it always is. South Carolina, the state that no one has ever lost and gone on to be president. Your home state. So now everyone talks about how Nikki Haley is way down in the polls in South Carolina. But I don't think anybody's polled it all that recently. Have, have you or has anybody else? I'd love to know because I certainly have not. No, there. That is a very good point. There have not been a lot of polls recently, right. but what we do know is if we look at the mechanics of how little Chris Christie was getting and how little Asa was getting, knowing that that Christie is only converting to Nikki about sixty forty, and Asa is converting roughly a hundred percent, but Vivek and DeSantis are converting to Trump at about eighty to eighty five percent. You can do some math and figure out that this race has probably gotten even wider. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, it's going to be hard fought. They are already spending tons of money here. And I, I think this is going to be one of those, you know, I don't really understand why she would risk losing her home state. I've said before, I think that's what political obituaries are made of. But I do think that there's a distinct possibility that she's going to spend about two weeks with everything she can throw at it, pull it, and if it still looks bad, maybe do a graceful exit. Well, you know, she probably, people who are governors of states never believe that they're not popular. She probably, A, thinks the polls are wrong, and based on last night, I guess, to some extent, she could make that argument. They certainly, everyone basically undersampled where she ended up being. But that said, um, you know, it, it's going to be one of these things where she's have to go out to South Carolina and persuade people that there's some state pride in voting for them. And that's what I saw in that speech last night. You know, all my sweet South Carolina coming home. You know. Well, <laughs> you know, last night I was listening to Trey Gowdy talk, and I think he summed it up best. In South Carolina, they like Nikki and they love Tim Scott, but Trump would beat both of them. Yep. And that's just kind of the understanding that Trump's right now, his strength is not so much people who love him. It's people who are angry at what's being done to him. That is how, that is when he started to grow is with all these indictments and all this stuff. And, you know, you just can't get, I mean, sometimes I, I, I wonder how in the world is Trump so lucky? Like the worst prosecution you and I were both worried about was Georgia. Right. 
and now the prosecutor has a huge conflict that's going to delay the yeah, case. You're, I mean, you're, it really is unbelievable. You're, you're Mr. <laughs> South Carolina. I guess I'm Mr. Georgia in the sense that I grew up there, served in the legislature there, was on TV for years there. I know the politics pretty well. Um, this is Let me exp- explain to our listeners what's going on in Georgia. Most everyone's heard the, the main facts is that Fonnie Willis, and her name is Fonnie, not Fannie, Fonnie Willis, uh, <laughs> who is the DA, uh, apparently was having a relationship with a gentleman who also ended up being hired to be special, a special prosecutor, in essence. Um, his firm has been paid uh, allegedly about $640,000, give or say, take 10 or 20000 one way or another. Um, he doesn't have a lot of experience dealing with felony trials and no experience as best I've read with RICO. The reason that's important is Georgia's RICO statute is pretty complicated. It's also pretty wide and broad. And um, he, having not dealt with RICO and having people on staff who have actually dealt with RICO cases, the question arises, well, why are you paying someone who you're apparently having relationships with uh, to uh, be paid this amount of money? Now, her defense is that, well, I have three different people and they all get paid the same hourly rate. That's true. But the other actually, it's not true. It looks like he was making. She said that it looks like he was making an extra hundred dollars an hour. Well, I know this. It wouldn't make any damn difference if you can charge uh, endless hours, including at least reportedly one twenty-four hour billing. Now, as a lawyer, I have never billed anyone twenty-four hours for anything. I guess maybe he's billing for travel. I don't know. I don't quite get it. But the problem that they have there, and this is this is where I'm getting to. So. You know, Governor Kemp is not inclined to do any favors for Donald Trump. And he sort of punted this to a commission in Georgia that really isn't even active right now. The the AG, Chris Carr, who's a good guy. I've known him since he was a young, young guy. Worked, worked with Johnny Isaacson. Probably not a big uh, Trump person in reality. I don't know. I haven't asked Chris about it. But my guess is Johnny certainly was not in his last few years in life. I love Johnny to death. He was a dear friend. But um, Chris uh, could bring action on his own. And one of the interesting things that's been floated by me is that, okay, if you've got fraud and if you've got conspiracy and if you've got more than one person involved in it. Why, why is a RICO case? Yeah, why, <laughs> what makes that any different from the RICO which you go and you know dealing with all these other people with? Oh, one big difference, $650,000 of public money. And so one of the senators, uh, Brandon Beach, who we both know, Brandon got up at the well of the Georgia Senate, uh, I think two days ago, and called for, he sent uh, the inspector general a request to look into and see if there are any state funds involved with it. Now, I don't know how that's going to work because, it's, as you know, it's very hard to parse out what state funds and what they're dedicated to versus the local taxes and what's allocated for the DA's office. I don't know if that's going anywhere, but they are the, 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 the Democrats there want her to get off the case. That's the bottom line, because the Atlanta newspaper, who is very pro-Democrat, they would say not, but they are. I mean, every story is tilted. And has been fawning all over Fonnie Willis right. and this for whole, months. Right. Well, now the worm has turned. They're saying, well, you're not answering this stuff. You're not. And, they, they, you know, they're beginning to say, hey, she probably needs to leave in order to keep integrity in the case and let it move along. So that's where we are. My guess as a lawyer who's practiced in Georgia and I did, practice, I did some pretty serious criminal 
uh, law work early in my career. Uh, my guess is what this will really do is cause the case to get delayed because the judge now has to have this hearing that's coming up. What do you, you know, it isn't necessarily going to throw the case out. Although one of the arguments being made is that the reason that it took so long and so many people were brought before that grand jury was she was trying to let this guy, and this is just alleged, let this guy pad his bill and keep asking more questions, keep it lasting longer. Whether that's true or not, we have no idea. And whether that would be a legal reason to, to have any effect on the case. In the end, I think it gets delayed. And if it gets delayed past the election, well, then really, once again, Trump has managed to outrun uh, the, the, the long arm of the so-called law. Because I'm not sure they're going to have an appetite to pursue this after the elections are either way, whether he wins or loses. Well, and the other thing, Matt, that has been uncovered is that this guy billed, I believe it was for two trips to the White House. I mean, yeah. you got to just, he, he's not too sharp that uh, there's all kind of accusations they're coordinating with the White House, yeah. and yet he bills for bill. a trip to the White House. Yeah. Well, he's, <laughs> but, at, least so, he, at least he was honest in his billing. <laughs> yeah. But what reason would he have to go to the White House? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. If he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, well, and, and, and the judge and the judge may may really drill down on that. I, what what I can't understand is why these activists, you know, the activist left wing groups just file lawsuits left and right all over the country. Where are the conservative groups, re- rather than just the 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 plaintiffs? I mean, the, the defendants in this case. Where are they not challenging issues from from a side. I mean, from the corporate, I don't know what, what they could do, but it's a, even if they just held a press conference and explained, this is the legal issue that no one's talking about. But I don't see it happening. Well, you, well the thing is, Matt, I'm, I am well aware of like America First Legal, which is supposed to do things like that, and they do a good job, but again, they're underfunded, like we've been right, talking exactly. about. Nobody gives Mark, them any money. Mark Elias has an unlimited budget That's to right. do whatever he wants. Yeah. And, you know, America First Legal is having to beg people to give them money. I mean, and that's ridiculous. They they are prepared to do a good job if they had the money. Well, I keep saying the Democrats are probably going to win the presidential election, even if they have Joe Biden, even if he's just limping along. I mean, and and that gets to another point, Robert. So now the Republican Party leadership are saying, Nikki, get out, because we're wasting money when we could be concentrating on electing the obvious nominee, Donald Trump. Now, it seems to me that they might just go ahead and do that on their own. I mean, there's no rule that says the RNC has to sit back and wait for somebody to get out of the race. They could just say, well, look, we're moving forward. We're going to start concentrating on the presidential race. We're going to start running ads that talk about this damn border, because what's going to happen is this. I'll give a great example. Tell me if this would not be a good ad for the Republicans. The Biden White House asked the justice through their their uh, lawyers um, asked the Supreme Court to consider whether there should be a removal of the razor wire and the other barriers that Texas put up to protect their sovereign territory. On a five four decision, the court said, "No, nah, Texas can't do that." So, what do I see yesterday? I see pictures of. Border, I don't know, the border agents, who they are. They're federal something or another. And they're cutting this these razor wire to remove it. Now, I, nothing moves that freaking fast in government. If they're in such a hurry to eliminate the barrier to keep people from coming in, 
but say they want to stop people from coming in. Wouldn't it be a hell of a commercial to have up right now? I mean, you know, you it would. It would. And the other thing I think about is a commercial of drone footage of all those pieces of wall laying on the ground. Yeah. But none of this crap's being done. And they just assume, look, here's the thing. The exit polls say, okay, people were motivated by, by the border. Well, here's what happens. Once you left 7 million people in the country, you know, at some point you declare victory and say, well, we're not going to let anybody else in. We have solved the border crisis. And then your issue has gone. And you still have 7 million people in the country floating around all over the place. Nobody knows who the hell they are or where they are. Flown in the middle of the night. Most of the things I just talked about, Robert, the average voter doesn't know anything about that stuff. They just know there's a border crisis. They don't really know what it is. They haven't seen. I know we polled it. They haven't seen the footage of the people swarming in or what, what you're describing. It's time. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're just now beginning to get it because mainstream media is just not beginning to get it. This is what we're talking about. Right. The other side has, not only does the other side have more money and folks on the issue, they, more now, they also have the main, they, and they have the mainstream media on their side too. Yep. So the Republicans started to disadvantage. And when you look at the, let me guarantee you, well over a hundred million dollars that is going to be spent in South Carolina for a battle that doesn't need to happen. Right. That's money that could be funding legal organizations, could be running new ads and battleground states. $100 million buys a lot of ads. Sure as hell does. And it's just, yeah, but as, as we have said many times, both here on our own show and also in, in, on the numerous talk shows that you and I appear on, and we've been saying it for over a year and a half, Republicans needed to run this stuff a year ago. You can't get into June and start trying to educate the public. I mean, really, there's scant time right now. You might have a, look, a couple of months that you could bring up a whole hell of a lot of issues that nobody knows about. And the Democrats can do the same. The difference is the Democrats are doing it. They have been running ads in these swing states endlessly. And then you got all the other groups. You got, uh, is it a, what? what's the Koch brother, uh, Americans for Prosperity, whatever that is. They're, I think, they are allegedly piling in with, anti-Trump ads, pro-Nikki ads. I, I saw four of them this morning. Wow. What are the ads? Tell, tell our listeners, because not everybody lives in South Carolina. What's well, this? Yeah, there are ads that talk about how uh, Trump uh, lost, and, and he's the only, only one, he'll, he'll lose to Biden, and he's facing all this uh, media, I mean, problems right. with uh, negative publicity and problems with the law, and we can't risk, and Nikki Haley is a proven conservative, you know, just those kind of tropes. And I mean, it's here's the thing. It, it, it could be very uh, it's a very effective and redundant again and again and again. Right. And it is unanswered at this point. Yes. I don't see anything from the other side. Not that Trump needs a bunch of ads, but but the but the issues do. And that that's what you're talking about. And that's where. I think, you know, we feel like we're we're preaching the cry all the time. Right. This idea that, you know, these elections, like I said, are decided by people who do not pay attention to politics all day. Right. You're not just competing with politics. I mean, we're going to be competing with back to school. You're going to be we're going to be competing with the, the, you know, winter flu and whatever's going on with college football. I mean, there's a lot of things vying for people's attention. Right. In the fall. Right. So it's better to get on their radar screen now and start educating them. So, you know, Robert, um, I, 
personally, I've never found that electability ads are effective. In other words, you go on and say, if, if you if you nominate Joe Schmo, he's going to get killed in the general. I mean, most most voters are not that strategic. They vote on issues, like you said. It uh, seems to me that show- and they don't believe it yeah. because there's so many polls that say Trump will win. Right, right. Exactly. Now, whether he will or not, because of the things you and I talk about, that's not what they're discussing. Well, let's talk for a minute about because this is what Nikki Haley and, and others are going to be and the media will be dwelling on. And that is, boy, Trump just didn't seem to be able to get any independent vote in New Hampshire. Now, let's for a minute pretend like not pretend, but let's put in uh, put this out here to discuss. Suppose we agree with that. How would you fix that if you're the Trump campaign? What would you do to deal with those independent well, voters? The per- well, the first thing is, is I wouldn't spend a bunch of time attacking Nikki Haley and looking like she's under my skin. Yeah. I would focus on the issues that independent, that unite independents and Republicans like the border, right. like the economy, right. uh, li- like the instability in the world yeah. and, and just kind of act like I'm the nominee and just not, it's almost like he took her bait. Right. I mean, last night when she was up, the, she got up there early. It was a smart move on her part, but you could tell he was agitated yeah, by yeah, it. Yeah, right, obviously. And, and, you know, that's one of the first lessons I used to teach candidates it, when I was a consultant is don't take bait. Don't do it. Right. Don't let somebody else well, determine your move. He rarely does. I found that interesting that you noticed that, so did I. Well, I, let me tell you what I think. Uh, I came from the era of politics is increasingly looking like, you know, looking at old uh, 1930s uh, movie reels, uh, <laughs> like where we started this thing. Um, but there was a lot of success with political leaders like Zell Miller in Georgia, Newt Gingrich with his, uh, you know, 100 days and pro- contract with America, and then uh, Bill Clinton with certain proposals. They would, they would get on these specific um, concepts that had real meat to them to pick voters away. Zell Miller uh, was a genius. He was a former governor of Georgia and U.S. senator, by the way, sort of like a Joe Manchin, a Democrat, who became very conservative. Miller was brilliant. I mean, he he put the lottery in and Georgia created the Hope Scholarship. And of course, that spread all over the country. And that got a whole bunch of families that otherwise weren't going to vote for a Democrat at that time because the suburban areas of Atlanta were Republican voting for him because they, they figured we'll get a free scholarship. I don't, we don't have to pay for school. So my question is this, are the Republicans ever going to sit down and say, okay, we need this group, that group, and another, this is all strategic talk here. And we need to have folks who not are just older, but who are approaching the age of 65 know that we're going to keep social security going. In fact, we're going to expand it, not, not whittle it away. And if something else has to drop, then it has to drop. Maybe it's all those damn uh, um, school loan forgiveness that nobody thinks is a good idea. And everybody's getting their school loan forgive. They're voting for Biden anyway. But if you go down a list of things like that designed to get people where it matters, it seems to me that that that's another way to bring independence back in, because they're only going to be able to talk about democracy dies so long. It just it's getting old. And I can't believe the Republicans haven't countered that issue either. I mean, who's censoring 
the, the, you know, information. Who's, who's, who's I mean, the only one countering it right now is Trump himself. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it is amazing how deadly silent all of these supposed conservative groups are. I mean, you know, Washington is full of groups that raise enough money to pay an executive director salary right. and don't do anything. Right. And, and no, I, what, what you're saying is exactly right. And the thing is, there are specifics. Like when he talks about, you know, drill, baby, drill, why not get into here's how much money that could bring in and here's what we're going to do with it. Right. We're going to pay off debt with 30% of it. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. You know, I mean, get into that kind of specifics. Yeah. I mean, when he was talking about those cities and encouraging a baby boom, that's specifics. That's the kind of stuff that works. And he needs to get back to that because he is certainly, I mean, think about his imagery in 2016. He talked about building a wall. Right. He, he was very specific on right. so many issues. Right. He can do that again. He's totally capable of it. Oh, totally. And I, and I think what they need to do is put a little meat on the bones in this campaign. Um, because you know what the Democrats are going to do. I mean, it's going to be abortion, which, you know, that was they hit the button on that, that that this last week. And there were protests all over the country. And you know, got uh, all these states anywhere they can put it on an initiative. They've got a, a vote on abortion. I mean, it's pretty clear what they're going to do. It's going to be abortion. It'll be be Something having to do with race. We all know that um, it, it's not, it, you know, um, Republicans want to destroy the climate. Oh, by the way, how about those electrical vehicles? Boy, they performed fantastically in that uh, uh, bad weather we had up northeast. Did you see that story about how everybody ran out of power and they were stuck at the at the at the places to recharge? But they couldn't do it because they didn't have any power. None of it worked. Yeah, I did. And I also saw the way it hurts was selling their fleet off because, you know, people don't understand how quickly it runs out of gas if you drive, I mean, it runs out of power if you drive too fast. Or if you're going so up hills if you got hilly country. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm i back on Twitter, my big giant 750 followers. <laughs> because I've been boycotting social media for years, you know that. I'm back only because of one reason, Elon Musk. I feel like he's brilliant. He's 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 doing things that give some freedom of speech back to this country. He may be a little eccentric, but isn't everybody. Uh, so I want him to do well. Don't get me wrong. But but government policy that that accelerates something beyond what it's capable of doing. And then again, Republicans don't explain why it's not going to work. We just say, well, we're not free EV because it's not going to work. It's not, it's not workable. Show people why it's not. Show those snow-covered places where everybody's freaking EV stalled out and they were waiting. I read a story about a person going to a wedding, ran yesterday. person going to a wedding ended up with one of those rental cars, the EV things, gets to the wedding, realizes it doesn't have anywhere near as much um, ability to go as far as the car says. By the time they leave the wedding to get to a charging station, there are no charges available the person stalled out in the middle of nowhere and had to call a, a tow truck or someone. Finally, th- there was no assistance from the rental agency. And in the end, they had to call an Uber. It took the Uber like an hour and a half, two hours to pick them up. They left the EV there and said, whatever group of hurt schmerz, I don't know who it was. It's your problem. But how would you like to do yeah, that? There's no, ga- there's, there's no gas can for an EV. No. <laughs> but did you notice that even on those exit polls, uh, environment and climate change was dead last. Well, certainly among the that group. 
But then, no, that included independence too. Right. Again, fifty-three percent independence was dead last for them too. Hmm. That's good to hear. I mean, not not that. Look, I, I'm not uh, I've not made a decision as to whether I believe there's global warming or not. But I know this: if it is taking place, it ain't gonna have any effect on me or my grandkids of any substance. I've been living in uh, Florida now for uh, ten years, and I watch that water every day in the bay. And the best I've seen, it's at about the same level it was when I moved here. So I'm not really well. And the, and the thing is, why should Western Europe? Why should America jump through all these hoops? And India, and China, it's a globe. Yep. It's like a non-smoking section and a smoking restaurant. It's all going to smell like smoke. Right. It is what it is, Robert. I didn't and know so that. until everybody gets together. That's all we got, Robert. Do you remember the old airlines when they started? They, they would they started creating rows. You know, this this area was smoking. That area wasn't. What the hell? Nah, the you're, you're getting you're predating me. You're predating me. It, right? all gets, it all gets recirculated through the freaking airline. It didn't make any sense. Finally, they'd say no smoking. Period. Because it just did. It was stupid. It did not work. All right, getting back to polling real quickly. Um, yeah, thank God Almighty, we're going to be polling in the South. Back to where you know. I got to, you know, I gave poor Ann Seltzer a little ribbing last week. I got to tell Ann something now. She doesn't watch this show, but I will tell her. I do respect her, by the way. But I got to tell Ann. I think, Ann, you and I need to go to school together and figure out how to adjust polling um, elections where everybody's white. Because clearly, I did a good job in Iowa. I wasn't as great in New Hampshire. And I can't quite figure out how, but you and I can go into South Carolina where you got African-Americans, you got Hispanics, you got this group, that group. It's like trying to fly an airplane and get all the controls right and balance it. We can land that sucker right on the runway. But when it comes to something like New Hampshire, and we said this for weeks and weeks and weeks, I don't like New Hampshire. Because they're, because they're, 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 they're a little cagey and they they enjoy kind of throwing, throwing an eight ball. I mean, you know, throwing a curveball at you. They are. You got the governor of the state, and this is going to be the complete reverse in South Carolina. You got governor of the state there working the apparatus, working his machinery. You got the Democrats working their machinery. Lord, the, the Koch brother working their machinery. And then you got, but, which we're going to go back to right where we started this thing, South Carolina. Boy, nothing in that area is working other than the money that these outside groups like the Americans for Prosperity and others will put in there because you got, tell me if I'm not wrong, the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker of the house. How about the AG? Attorney general, uh-huh. uh, all Trump. the constitutional, all the constitutional officers, but superintendent of education right. who hadn't made a pick. Right. And then like a uh, hundred or so members of the legislature uh, that served with her. I mean, it, it is, it is overwhelming, uh, and it's, you know, and it's also lots of activist level. I mean, the DeSantis campaign had done a good job of building a good team. Right. And most of them came over to Trump, too. Right. So it, it is really a merging of operations. And, and the thing is, yes, in South Carolina, there are no such things as Republican primaries and Democrat primaries. Everybody can vote in either one. Right. And technically, they're not supposed to vote in both, right. but they're on different days, and that law is not always enforced. Mm-hmm. So the possibility of the Democrats monkeying around in the Republican primary again is there. Mm-hmm. And you know, and just hey, listen, I remember when I was a kid one time, we were monkeying around in the Democrat primary for fun. So you know, turn about fair play. So they don't. Have but a- I will say this: 
I'm sorry, they don't have a system there of knowing if you voted in, is the Democratic primary before the Republican? I believe so. I believe it's the Tuesday uh, a week before, but I'm, you know what? I don't keep track of when that one is because right. uh, it wasn't much for primary till now. Right. Uh, and it's still not much for right. primary, right. but there is a lot of emphasis and Clyburn is loved among Democrats mm-hmm. and he has kind of put his, you know, I, I think this idea that where it motivated people in New Hampshire that Biden had kind of skipped them. Right. I think it works the other way that, that, that Biden made you first and don't disappoint him right. is an argument that'll sell. And again, very few people, when you go back and look at it, actually vote in both. I mean, it, it's, it's not even really worth discussing unless it's particularly orchestrated. But, but, but I think the, the, the Trump organization should have their eyes on it, right? They should definitely have their eyes on it. Um, and, you know, and look for efforts to do that. But, I, you know, for the most part, also, the Republican primary versus Democrat primary is like 700,000 is the top Republican presidential primary number. And the Democrats, if they get to like two or 300,000, I believe their highest number was 400 when it was Hillary Obama, which was their high watermark. So they what, don't what, have enough one, what people. High watermark? What was it? Hillary Obama. About how much? How many people? Uh, I think they. I think they had like four hundred something thousand. Okay, so if we. Had, so even then, they were three hundred thousand from the Republicans. High water. So mark, the secretary, which was the secretary of state there predicts that a million two people are going to vote in the primary. We'll know the monkey in around is going on, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So because clearly, did we did we ever get a number of how many people actually voted last night? I, think it was I haven't a, seen a final count. It was around what they were projecting, which they said. No, they said it was a little higher than they thought it was going to be on the Republican side. they said they thought it was going to be a record anyway, or close to it. So it was a a strong turnout. Well, okay. um, Well, the 18% new voters, it would have to be. Well, listen, I am glad to have New Hampshire over. I never enjoy it. I almost talked about not polling it. I probably should have just stayed on the golf course. (laughs) But the one thing we did. You, You literally did. For two weeks. I don't want to poll New Hampshire. I don't want to poll New Hampshire. I know. I know. I got talked into it. In fairness, guys, he really did. I got, you know, I got talked into it. That's all right. I mean, you know, it it is what it is. One thing we did do is the combination of all our polls, I think the real clear politics average was like almost dead on, right? As I recall. Uh, Well, I mean, it was still a little high. It was still a little high, but but not, it, it was still a little high because there was still some in the average were still people who were voting uh, for DeSantis and, and um, right. Ramaswamy who had been, whose polls had not been updated yet. And right. all of the rest of ours had been. Right. Right. Well, so we take a little time for South Carolina. We watch and see what develops. And next week we'll have another guest. We didn't have a guest this week because we really wanted to, to, uh, to concentrate on what happened in New Hampshire and what we think is going to happen in South Carolina. I think we'll probably have Phil Kent, former editor of the Augusta Chronicle, on one time to talk about South Carolina with us. Um, he, he covered that for quite some time because, you know, that's right on the border of uh, South Carolina. And I've also got a couple of surprises coming, possibly. Uh, we've got a lot of people, you know, who are kind of the folks that maybe you've never heard of that are big movers and shakers in South Carolina. Right. And so... I, I think we're going to have at least one or two of them before we're done. That's good. So I think we'll have good coverage of that. And we're going to have some big national names also. By, by the way, okay, so what is – last thing we're going to talk about. 
What is Hannity talking about when he says we talked about him on the podcast? I went back and listened to the podcast with Newt. There's no mention of Sean Hannity. <laughs> I mean, this is like the fourth time I've been on the radio with him. He's like, oh, you talked about me. We did not talk about you. We love you, Sean. We love you. We would never, ever talk about you. Although we did talk about him last week, but we talked about him, how he's going to be stuck with three knuckleheads instead of two knuckleheads on his show now because he has you, me, and John McLaughlin, who also did a great job. Congratulations, John. It was a great interview also we had last week with him. But anyway. Sean, well, maybe that's what he was talking about. No, no, no. He's got this crazy idea that we said his name in the interview with Newt Gingrich. We did not. Just I listened to the whole thing. And it was a great interview with Newt. So anyway, we'll leave with this. We love you, Sean Hannity. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. So <laughs> tell him that. We <laughs> talked about you. All we said is how much we love you. Anyway, we're, we're going to be back next week. Um, probably we'll take a day off or so to relax after this. And by the way, I'll leave you with this. Temperature right now in Tampa, where my studio is, is right at 80. So with that, folks. We'll talk to you next week with Polling Plus. I'm Matt Towery for the Bowtie one himself, Robert Cahaley. Have a great week.